I invite you to join me for some playful yoga classes at Power of Your Own. We overlook the beautiful Santa Ynez Mountains in the heart of downtown Santa Barbara and are known as the friendliest yoga studio in California. Locals can take advantage of our introductory offer of two weeks of unlimited sessions for only 40 bucks. Go to powerofyourom.com to sign up. That's powerofyourom.com. Welcome to the Messy Progress Podcast, the show that will give you the courage and confidence to get messy, uncaged, and liberated so that you're living your most vibrant life. I'm your host, Adrian Smith, and I'm so stoked that you're here. Let's jump right in. Hello, Messy Progress friends. This is a new episode that I'm bringing to you in a different format. I'm calling it Out in the Wild. As I do this intro, I'm walking on one of my favorite trails that I get to walk on straight from my house. I have a little 10 minute walk up a hill to get to this beautiful park that I typically walk my dog on every day. And it gives me an opportunity to be out in nature. I'm obviously on my phone. And the reason for that is I owe my podcast producer an episode by the end of today. And the reason I do is because he's going on vacation next week And I was sick this week, so I wasn't able to record anything that I would want anyone to listen to because I was coughing like crazy. And it made me realize that there can be so much of a stigma around putting things out in the world. Hence, the reason for this podcast becoming in existence to begin with. And so, you know, we don't always have the most perfect audio. We don't have the the best recording setup or all these things. And I'm, I'm even, as I, as I share this, I'm thinking about all the reasons that I hold myself back from some future endeavors that I want to jump into. And so you can probably hear that I'm a little bit panty. I am stuffed up. <laughs> There's sounds of me walking. You can hear the leaves perhaps crushing underneath my feet, birds in the background and a plane pretty far away. But that's life. And If we don't embrace it, sometimes we always keep ourselves stuck. So this episode of Out in the Wild, I'm just doing the intro for it right now, but it's an an episode of me actually being interviewed by someone else instead of me interviewing someone. I had the pleasure a few months back to be a guest at the District 216 House, which is a psychedelic social club in Santa Barbara. And I just wanna give them some major props because it's an amazing community of what they term edutainment. So it's educational and entertainment combined. And um, the, the thing I want to highlight about this special place is Jacob Tell, who is the founder, um, has been a real support for me and all of my questions that I have as I venture into a space that I'm super curious about. And so if you're interested, I'm going to leave the information about how you can you know, check them out. And if you're in Santa Barbara, they do amazing events, weekly talks, discussions, community gatherings at their place, downtown Santa Barbara, as well as quarterly marquee events with amazing speakers and food and education and music and just all the things that can really help people connect. And um, and so this episode itself, it talks a lot about my row across the ocean and 
my introduction to psychedelics and some other things in there, some little tidbits and nuggets of wisdom that I always <laughs> seem that, to come up with as I'm sharing any little talk. And um, I hope you enjoy it. And um, here we go. Hello, welcome to District 216, the intersection of art, music, cannabis, and psychedelics. We are very grateful to have you here, you intrepid extraterrestrial interstellar travelers. My name is Cole Lupoli, and I am the District Wednesday night host. And today we are very lucky to have Adrian Smith. She is uh, not only an iron woman, an iron woman or an iron man, uh, she's done a lot of incredible rowing activities that she's going to tell you about. And then she's also the founder uh, for the last 12 years. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Eight years? 12 incredible years at the power of your own. And maybe she'll give you a discount if you talk to her kindly afterwards. Mm -hmm. First class only. Anyways, uh, she's done some cool stuff. We're going to broadcast that real quick. And then we're going to hop into the dialogue. So if we could have a warm round of applause for Adrian Smith. <laughs> Heartwarming moment, a hero mom is reunited with her little daughter after a dramatic ocean adventure. And that hold on tight hug seems to go on forever. I told her I loved her, I missed her so much. I told her I would never be away from her for that long ever again. Adrian Smith and, and her companions, so Brooke Downs, Sophia Dennison Johnston, and Libby Costello just rode 2,400 nautical miles across the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco to Honolulu. They broke the women's team record, completing the trip in 34 days, 14 hours, and 11 minutes. It's a daunting ordeal even for this fantastic foursome. They rode day and night in two-hour shifts. <laughs> the hard parts were not nearly as hard as they probably could have been because of the women that I was doing it with. They ate like this while rowing. Go <laughs> <laughs> good. And they kept their spirits up by dancing and singing like this Miley Cyrus hit, Party in the USA. There's a party in the USA. But they also faced some rough seas. This is where we're going. The waves are big today. They say they were inspired by messages of encouragement from thousands of fans tracking their progress online. We love hearing from you guys. You guys are inspiring us too. Everybody stay strong, beautiful, kind, brave. This is the moment they finally made landfall in Honolulu and were greeted by friends and family. There were plenty of emotional reunions. But this one, when Adrian's four-year-old daughter Reese saw her mom for the first time in over a month, said more than just, welcome home. That's pretty darn impressive. Wow. <laughs> So are you in the Guinness Book, or what's the deal? Yeah, officially in the Guinness Book. So there's so many different things we can talk about. Why don't we just start off with this incredible accomplishment? I mean, first off, how did the opportunity present itself? You did do Iron Man stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, so my husband, Jason, is a strength and endurance coach. We met doing triathlons way back in 2009, and he got contacted by one of the girls on the team to coach the team to 
break this world record. And so he contacted me on, I was, I say contacted, like we don't live together, but he called me, I was in the car and he said, Hey, I just got off with the owner of the boat. And they, he told me they only have three women and they're still looking for a fourth. You'd be perfect. Like those are the words that I remember. It was like, there was not even a pause. It was like, there's, there needs to be one. You'd be perfect. And that was the beginning. And so I asked a couple questions like, does it matter that I don't row because I'm not a rower and, uh, and I wasn't, I've never rowed. And then, um, what are my chances of dying? <laughs> and so the answers to those two questions were, no, it doesn't matter that you didn't row. And I knew the answer already with that. And the second one about dying, his, his answer was the boat writes itself. So if it flips over, it will always flip back the right way. And kind of that's all I needed in order to be like, okay. Um, I didn't say yes right away at that moment, but then I did some research, looked at people who had done this in the past, found out what was required, went on a walk with one of the teammates and asked her all the questions that I had about, you know, preparation and are you guys just like going rogue on this? You, no one was a navigational seaman. Um, no one sailed boats and, or any of that. And so um, we were all novices. They just had more rowing experience flat water than I did. So it sounds like you volunteered for coxswain out the gate. You said, do I not have to row? Is that right? To well, be the did, one shouting directions? Well, it correct? was, no, it was, does it matter that I didn't row? That's what I mean. Coxswain yeah. has the big, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. goes, you know, left, right, yeah, left. Totally. Very cool. I, I would do that position. It seems pretty low key. Mm -hmm. I might just cook. Um, <laughs> so what was the preparation for it? Did you know how far it was going to be? What was the heads up? Could you just kind of break down? Okay, so you accepted it. You mm -hmm. said, all right, I'm interested. What was the preparation? What was the training? And how did that compare to say something like the Ironman that you've been doing before? Yeah, great question. So with this is a long distance multi-day thing where you are going, 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 the body has to adapt and it's not, there's no part of it that's healthy. I'll say that is there's very little sleep. You have to learn to, to deal with that. You're in a very small space. You don't just get to like peace out and leave if you decide that you didn't want to do it anymore. So preparation wise, it was at one moment in time, myself and one other teammate lived in Santa Barbara. And so that's why my husband got contacted was because he was here. It didn't make sense to work with a coach that was, let's say, like in London. Ocean rowing is very big in the UK and um, that area of the world, but not as big as it is here. So he got contacted to be the person that was closest to the most of us um, at that moment in time. It was just the captain of the boat at the, the person, DJ, who was the one that said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to create a team. So she was named captain later on by the whole group, but I didn't get brought on until, um, October of 2021. And officially it was kind of like doing an interview process, pledging a sorority. If anyone's ever done that, um, where it's like, are you guys going to pick me? Am I picked or how's this going? And, um, and then in November we gathered as a group for the first time in San Francisco and set forth to create a mission statement, team values, um, work out as a group, learn about the boat. And then every month from there, we would meet as a group and either do dry land training or training on a boat. Um, once we learned all of the ins and outs of everything from tying knots to how to push off of a dock with a, you know, quite a large 
vessel that doesn't move very fast. It's not very maneuverable either. And so we were just, all of us were learning something from the beginning, like something none of us knew. No one was an expert going in. So we were all, I, I felt like the first time that we learned everything about what we were doing, including just like, where are the lockers that you're going to keep your food in? What do you do with your shoes? What's the process of harnessing yourself in and out of the boat? Like all of those kind of tactical things so that we, we were safe. It felt like we were going, I felt like I was in medical school, but never having taken chemistry class, like just like the overwhelm of my brain, like the first weekend of learning something new. I mean, no one does that as adults. Kids do it all the time. They're just like constantly overwhelmed. And we just kind of go through the same processes and the same things on a daily basis. So from there, we had to do sea survival training. We had to take navigation courses, CPR, first aid. We had to learn how to survive at sea. We had to learn what it would look like if in the event we had to get rescued. What's What does it look like to get re rescued from a helicopter? And that video and all of the ways that we could possibly have things go sideways was shown to us the day before we pushed off the dock in Sausalito. And I was like, God, that was a total dick move to just like see that at the last minute. But it also was good because, you know, you, we, we had all of the possible scenarios that could happen, um, except for having done the thing. And so once we pushed off, and this was in June of 2022, so how many months that was, um, you know, seven, eight months total as a team, very short timeline to do something like this. Most teams get put together about two years prior to a launch. And it takes a little bit more because they need a boat, they need funding. And we were fortunate enough to have a team kind of a, call it. He was like he identified himself as a manager at one point. His name is Jason Caldwell. If anyone ever wants to look up a really cool documentary, it's called Chasing on Apple TV, and it shows his adventure crossing the Atlantic twice and um, doing it unsuccessfully or successfully, but with a team of four people that ended up as a team of two. And he wrote a book called What If, and that's how DJ, one of the, the first girl on our team, found out about this, was she contacted him saying, hey, what can I do with athletics other than try to make it to the Olympics? And he's like, well, let, let's talk. And so that planted a seed. He wanted to create a women's team. And so he had a boat. They had a sponsor. Lincoln Financial Group was a basically paid our way to do this. It was not a cheap it's much cheaper to fly to Hawaii than it is to row a boat for that many days. So we had a million calories of food on board. We had a water maker. We had a satellite um, television. Technically, it's a, it's a formal race called the Great Pacific Race. And in order to do a race, there's a lot of race rules. So all, we had a ginormous checklist of items that we had to have on board and know how to use them and check that we knew how to use them before we were able to call it legally, um, push off and do this as a, as a formal race. And so what was the record that you were going to beat or had anyone, you know, attempted this before? Yeah, there was a team the year prior to us called the Ocean Shiros, and they broke the previous world record by 15 days. So it was originally 50 days and they broke it 35 days, 14 hours and some minutes. And we went 34 days, 14 hours and 20 minutes. So it was a full 24 hours. 
So was there a pace that you were intending to keep or did you or did you just go as fast as you can? What was it like setting up in that regard? Yeah, so we we set up our mission statement to row across the Pacific Ocean, make it to Hawaii as fast as we possibly could. And the second part of our mission was to elevate each other's greatness along the way. And so that part was important because yes, we were going to do something that was time-based and it was a competition because we were all competitive athletes. I wouldn't want to do this as like a lollygagging 60, 70 days at sea adventure. And so setting up to do it at that pace, the way that you do that supposedly is that you have two people rowing at a time, two people not rowing. And you're doing that 24 hours a day, two hours on, two hours off. So you have to get out of bed essentially six times a day and change your clothes, sometimes putting on dry clothes, sometimes, especially the first two weeks, is putting on wet, damp, cold clothes. And sometimes it's hard for us to get out of bed early to go exercise, right? And we had to do that six times a day after not getting adequate sleep and eating food that wasn't lovely and having, you know, no really great coffee, all the things that like are creature comforts as humans. Training-wise, you asked that question before that, is... There's no way that you can prepare for that fully. Like you can do all the strength training to help keep your body so that it doesn't break down. But at some point it's going to. And we had little things that would happen to us, not happen, but like, you know, my hand got to a point where it was like permanently like this. And it just hurt so bad to then have to grab the oar handle and pull for the first like 20 strokes every time that I was having to get, put my feet in the foot stretchers and then grab the oars and pull them. It was just terrible after a while. And our butts were so sore. You're sitting a lot. You're hardly standing. So what people didn't realize was when we got back to land, we hardly walked. We hadn't been weight bearing for 34 plus days. And this wasn't the interview. We were fortunately like showered up for that one that you guys saw. But the night that we arrived, we got interviewed by Good Morning America and we had to stand for like it was what showed up on the interview was like two minutes, but we were being interviewed for like an hour in a really hot room. And two of us were standing just like the lights were going out because it was we hadn't been we hadn't stood for that long. Just a simple task like that. Yeah, just kind of like a wild way to do summer vacation. <laughs> Was it the best time you'd ever want to repeat or are you no. going to go crush another world record sometimes? No, soon? no. I don't have any desire to do that again. I've learned like one of the biggest things that I learned out there was that I want to spend my time doing the things I want to spend my time doing whenever I've sure there's certain things that all of us have to do where I'm like, I don't want to, I still have to pay my sales and use tax from 2022. And so like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to like reconcile my book. When I got back, I wrote a list of all the things that I have to do for my business. And I was like, what do I want to do of this whole list of all the things that I have to get done? And what don't I want to do? And so I, every day, every week was like gradually putting things into different buckets that things that I didn't want to do anymore. And so I bring that up because when I was out there, I was like, I miss my family. I miss Santa Barbara. I don't take advantage enough of where we live. I don't go to the beach enough. I don't walk my dog. I don't walk barefoot. I don't um, like sit and have conversations with people that I really want to have conversations with. And being out there for that long made me realize that. 
like deep conversations with people that I love and just simple living. We have access to so much here. And I, I really, it was very quickly missing that. And I'm like, I don't want to be gone doing something like this again. Like I did it. It was super cool. And it changed me in ways that like, I feel like fast tracked me towards something that I needed to have happen in my life. Like something to shake me up and wake me up out of some stuck state that I had been in. So we heard you were jamming to Miley Cyrus. Totally. Uh, what was the soundtrack for this arduous endeavor? Uh, we had just anyone. We had a speaker on deck as well as our own headphones. We listened to a lot of music. I had like, you know, thousands of songs on my playlist. Most of them were Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus, um, Adele, Jonas Brothers were headlined some of our sunset karaoke hours. Probably so- none of the music that you guys listen to is like pop music two of the girls on the boat their first concert ever they ever went to was miley cyrus so it kind of tells you like the age gap and so what was the most challenging aspect what did you think would be the most challenging aspect prior to going about your journey and then what actually turned out to be the most challenging aspect the you, most apart from the physical stuff which yeah I the physical was stuff actually was you know just the aches and pains i was annoying like your butt hurt and kind of like constantly having to shift into different s- s- positions so that you could sit on a seat for two hours. And the hardest part was actually before we left the constant, um, questioning of whether we did what, whether what we did was enough to be ready to get out there and do the whole journey. So a lot of times, you know, we, in, in, in athletics, you'll get Uh, like a race plan saying like, this is the ideal. If you could do all this, like you'll be ready. And at the beginning, when we first got handed kind of that plan, it was, you need to get out on the water for, I think it was something like 200 hours. And we had a very short timeline. So it wasn't like we were going to have 200 hours of collective four people going out there. And so I, I say that the preparation part because there was, I was wrestling constantly with expectations, my own personal expectations, what everybody else said needed to happen before we went out. And then when we were out there watching, you could see the speedometer and see how much effort we were putting in. And it didn't matter how much more effort we put in. There was a plan at place that was bigger than it was the weather, the weather, the wind, the waves, the current, and we could bust our balls for like, we would go with sometimes we would test it out. Like, so let's see how hard we can go and like how much faster we'll get there. And then you're, we were miserable. And so that's why we just, I, I mentioned the documentary chasing and those guys are legends because they went 30 days in the Pacific crossing that we did. But every video of them in that video is of the, in that documentary is them being miserable. And we just, as a team, we're like, we're not going to do that. We want to be the funniest team to cross the Pacific ocean. We want to do it with the most joy and and like, have it be an an experience that we won't necessarily want to do again, but we enjoy having while we're there. And so just the constant comparison with others and how they did it or how fast we were going in comparison to the, the pace that was set the year prior. And the, the way that the ocean works, we all know this, is there's currents and sometimes the currents are supposed to go a certain way at a certain speed according to the calendar. And then our time was, it seemed different. So we took like a shorter, if you think about a track, the way that um, if you run around a track and you always take the inside lane, you're going to run a shorter distance than someone that's on the outside lane. 
and we had the sh- we were taking the shorter distance because of just the way that the the wind and waves and current were working for us. But it also felt like it was taking forever, like constantly, just like no matter how much effort you put in, it wasn't delivering with the the pace at which we wanted to be going. And we were still able to break the world record. But at times it was like, oh, everyone would say like, once you get to this part, you're going to catch the trade winds and you're just going to feel like you're flying. And then we would be out there and like, doesn't we're not going any faster. We're going like 2.6 knots. Again, the expectations, everyone would say something and then our experience was different. People would say, this is what's going to happen. And then it would be different. And we had a weather router. So we had someone we contacted with back on land and they would tell us like, hey, in the next 12 hours, these are the conditions. And fortunately, we didn't have any sort of experience like you would predict in like or see in Hollywood movies like The Perfect Storm or even that movie True Spirit about the girl that's the youngest girl to circumnavigate the globe. We didn't have any like crazy dead zones. We didn't have any storms. We didn't flip over. We never even had to throw out our sea anchor. The karmic journey that we had for each one of us was so interesting because we we would talk about what we were wrestling with most and just the monotony. And one of my teammates, just I'll never forget this, it was like can't, like maybe into like week two. And she, she gets on deck and she gets a razor out. And I was like, Libby, what are you doing? And she's like, I need to shave my legs. And I was like, of all the people on the boat, she was like the one that I would never expect to say she needed to shave her legs. And I was like, okay, cool. And she's like, I just got to do something different. Because it was the same thing every single day. Same kind of weather conditions, same kind of effort that you're putting forth, same shitty food that you're eating. You know, the music was great. The company was good, but just like we're wrestling with ourselves. And so just like adding something as simple as like, I'm going to wash my hair today or I'm going to shave my legs. It was like, this is amazing. It's like going to Disneyland. Was there any notion of a flow state during this or a quasi Zen experience that you achieved where you became the motion, you became the or was it just hellish? No, it was um, it was actually really cool because the way that we shifted. So I was in the the bow seat, which is the front of the boat, which feels like the back of the boat because there's someone sitting in front of me. So there's someone always setting the or the stroke, and I would shift on the odds. Me and my partner we shared one cabin, and then my teammates shifted on the evens, and so we always rode with two different people. One hour, one hour, I would row with Brooke. And one hour I would row with DJ and they had different strokes. So when I would come on and I would start to like have to get into the, the state of flow and rhythm with one teammate, it was different than when the other one would come on. And it, take, it would take a little while to get that just flow state down in terms of movement. But I don't think that the flow state of like the kind of what we probably experience when we're, you know, meditating, it didn't come till after we got back. And I I don't know why that is, but there's a part of all of us when we returned, we all had um, some some serious jaw pain. So there was like there was PTSD that physically showed up in our body that we weren't aware of. I went and did some um, if you're familiar with the therapy technique EMDR and had talked with um, a client of mine that was just like, you need to, you need to get that out of your body. Like something stuck subconsciously. And so we talked through some stuff and I pictured myself in environments in certain kind of, nothing was ever dire, but you're, we're human beings. We're not meant to live on water. And so there's a part of our body that 
I think inherently knew that we weren't supposed to be there and just the monotony of and fatigue and the lack of sleep. We all know that we're supposed to get, you know, eight hours of sleep a night. And when that doesn't happen repeatedly, the body will, we all survive. But the trauma that comes from that, we don't even realize it's, it's deep seated in there. We were out at, for drinks one night, me and my teammates and one of the girls was like, yeah, I've been, been grinding my teeth at night. My jaw really hurts. And we didn't have like any big cares in the world. We'd already de- done this thing. We were back on land. We all had jobs and places to live. And one of the girls, other girls was like, me too. And I was like, me too. And it was just unbelievable that it was something we didn't even realize until we started to talk to each other about the experience that we had, that the, the survival mode that the body was in was real, even though we were joyful and singing Miley Cyrus and like knew, you know, broke a record, did all the things, checked all the boxes, but just that stuff lives in your body. And it took a while for us to kind of get back on land and that, that sense of physical, um, homeostasis that I think all of us seek. It just took a while. Was there a meal that you guys discussed or coconut water or a certain cocktail? You're like, when we get to Hawaii, oh, yeah. we're getting Domino's or whatever it is. Yeah. We talked about what we wanted to eat a lot. Everything from just ice. I just wanted to have ice, something cold, something that wasn't just like lukewarm. And like there's so, we'd had so much salt in the backpacking meals. Um, the first thing that couple of the girls had was poke and then I had pizza I really wanted a burger and fries but that was like a whole issue that my my request for my my first meal was was not listened to it was quite mad but then I went to the mall the next day and I went and I I was like so excited to go to the mall and I all I go to Hawaii and I was like I want to go to the mall you know why because there's food everywhere in the mall and I was like I can get blenders I can get a poke bowl I can get a croissant I can get Aunt Annie's pretzels. I can get anything that I want and I hardly have to walk to go get those things. And I had, yeah, just like lattes, like really like just getting good coffee. Yeah, those are the things. Well, what I hear you saying is at least I can feel it, like a sense of gratitude for things that maybe people don't take you know, seriously or they take for granted on a daily basis. Absolutely. Is that correct? So what would be then, you know, and then we can touch on psychedelics Mm -hmm. and you have all sorts of other things you've done. Um, What would be like your one takeaway or the lesson, you you know, if you were teaching a class to children, you know, the one like, remember this, you know, I'm a Guinness record holder. Yeah. uh, What would you say? Just to be joyful. Like you're, you're going to get through whatever it is that, the thing is, at the moment, it seems so hard at times or physically demanding. And if you look back on every, I mean, all of the ways that I stressed out about the training, having enough preparation, our boat getting to Santa Barbara in time, it all worked and it worked out better than I could have imagined. But I don't think we can have that until we've gotten through something to look back and say, yeah, that thing I, I went through, you, you'll make it through like the grief, losing a loved one. It's there's certain things that just some things suck, but it's all working out for a plan that's kind of bigger than you ever can imagine. And I don't know that little kids can ever get that, but, um, I definitely think that as, as adults, we lose sight of that in when we're kind of in the day to day rat race of life that it can get to for some of us. 
And so did you engage in psychedelics prior to your journey as, as far as preparation, or was this something you've begun engaging in since uh, accomplishing your mission? Yeah, mostly since. I had the thought, because people talked about hallucinating when you are without sleep and all the ways that you're expending your body at sea. And I was like, well, we should like just like do something crazy and, you know, take a bunch of mushrooms. And none of the girls were into that idea. So um, that, you know, went over like a fart in church. But um, I took a little bit like a, I got introduced to psilocybin like two weeks prior to leaving. And um, we were in Hawaii different like we flew to Hawaii and I was there at this bougie bougie house like the exact opposite conditions is what I was going to be living in we had brought some chocolates with us and went on a kayaking trip and took some and I was like I was expecting for you know there's like a Pee Wee Herman um, TV playing right here and I'm like seeing some of the pictures that come up is like I was expecting that to be like what my whole life looked like when I took just like a little bit and I was like just like staring at the water and I'm like is anything happening later on? Um, we kept like taking a little bit and a little bit during the course of that day. And I was laying in the hot tub at this house that we were staying at just like forever staring at the stars and just watching. I was like, gosh, like the stars, maybe they're like a little twinklier. And, um, one of my girlfriends was there with her eight year old son who sometimes is, drives me a little bit crazy. And I was like, wow, he's not making me crazy. And so I was like, something's different. I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's just that I'm in Hawaii laying in a hot tub. And so that was the first time that I'd experienced anything. And But since then, I've been exploring a little bit more. So maybe you tell us a little bit about the evolution of uh, your psychedelic experience and potentially how it even relates to some of your movement exercises or mm-hmm. breath work or maybe some of your spiritual framework or lack thereof. Yeah. Uh, do you mind delving into that? Sure. So I was working with um, a coach for public speaking at the beginning of, or at the end of 2022 and beginning of 2023. And one of the exercises she had us do was to declare our year. And I declared 2023 the year of seeing for myself. So back to what I was talking about with the boat and like, you have to get this much training in, in order for it to be successful. You have to do this with your business in order for it to be successful. If, you know, I run a yoga studio and it's like so much of the talk was like, you need to be there more. If you're not there, then it's going to fall apart. And I was like, you know what? I need to see for myself. And so it started to become this thing that I wanted to do also when it came to psychedelics. And When I was in high school at some point in time, my dad, I can still remember him telling me like, don't do drugs. They're bad. Um, You can't trust anything. You never know what it's laced with. And I think he had had like a roommate when he was young, just like overdose in some bad way. And if that didn't happen, that's at least what I believed. And so I never participated in anything drank a lot of alcohol in my life, but never, um, I didn't even smoke weed until for the first time until, um, new years of this last year. Cause I was scared. Like I, he scared the shit out of me. And I think that's the common thing with most everybody that's not tried something. And, um, which, you know, it's for good reason, I think at times, but I was like, I want to, I want to just see this for myself. Like, what is it like to have a little weed in my body. And part of it was this, this dance of 
me being someone that like I, I started to like f- put myself in this place where I was like, I've never done anything. So I'm never going to like, I'm there's like, there's like a level of like purity, even though I was like, dr- I drank a ton. I went to university of Wisconsin, like lots of beer bongs and football, you know, just, I can still remember like falling down the stairs, you know, taking too much. And so like in my mind, that was also what was going to happen with psychedelics. And, um, and it hasn't, you know, fortunately, but I, um, I'm trying to think of just like the, I started to take a little bit of, um, like chocolates with mushrooms and I would take, I went and saw avatar and I was like, wow, is it like this bright all the time? Or is it, you know, um, is it because I took a gram of mushrooms and, but what I experienced was any emotion that I was having was heightened. Like the scene where the, um, the mom loses her son in avatar. Like I was crying. My husband was crying. And then like the fight scenes, I could, my heart was beating out of my chest and I was just like, wow, this is so fascinating. I'm not under stress, but the environment and whatever I'm in is causing my emotions to be way stronger than they normally would be. And then I would start taking, um, some mushrooms. I would go on a, take some mushrooms, like a half gram to a gram. And I would go on a hike and I'd come back home and I'd put in a sound healing and I'd lay on my floor, put my eye blinds on, and I started to experience some physical healing in my body. So when I talked to you about my jaw, it started to get better with the therapy, but I started to notice that when I was doing that, like my whole left side of my body has like a lot of tightness in it. It started to go away, like tightness and pain that was so bad that I couldn't run and I love running. And I didn't have to do anything. I just laid there and let myself kind of soften. And so as someone that's been, you know, I've been athletic since I was young. I ice skated when I was little. I've always loved being physical and it wasn't, I wasn't, I've never been doing all these things just because like I needed to prove something. I've just loved moving, but I wasn't, I haven't been able to do some of the things physically because I've had a lot of, I've lost both of my parents the same year that I got pregnant and then COVID happened and I'm running a yoga studio, just like the, the, the stress, like constantly running in the background, I'm able to, to handle it, but physically it was, it was stuck. And so I think truly that over the last couple months, call it just like, like true six months of exploring different things, like parts of my body have healed that there's like no explanation for because I didn't do anything. No one fixed me. The chiropractor didn't help those kinds of things. And, but it's just more of me just allowing life to happen. And then having a little bit of assistance when I talked about like this row being like a fast track of like evolution and me kind of getting unstuck is I really think that some of the stuff that I've taken, um, my husband and I had an experience with MDMA a couple weeks ago laying on the beach and I had no expectation. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Someone's like, you guys are going to want to like snuggle and like touch each other. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like that can't hurt. And so, um, we took some MDMA and laid on the beach and for like five hours, just laid there next to each other and listened to music. He had a playlist that he had made from when we first met, but I didn't like know he was in love with me. Just, it was really kind of fun. But he played it all the time when we were first dating And so we played it when we were on the beach and, um, 
we lay there and we started talking about like, we've had some rough times, like really like low times to the point where like I went over to some girl's house that I, he told me he wasn't going on a hike with and like hid in her driveway and like put, pulled my car in front of them as they pulled out. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And like, I'm talking like low to the low things are going to be like, we're getting divorced. And I bring that up because as we laid on the beach, I was like, there is no amount of therapy that could have gotten us to be this connected, to let all of the shit just drop away. And for us to like really realize that we love each other. Life happens and like we're both managing, you know, being entrepreneurs and having a kid and doing life. He was just doing some epic race in the, um, the Tetons this week. And you know, he helped, he took care of my daughter for 35 days while I was gone. And to like, there's so much stuff that gets in the way. And so when we were there, it wasn't in the way we could talk and like the guard was down and I was just like, Oh my God, like we need to share this with everybody because people are suffering and I don't want that to be something that just like, you know, the toilet seat gets left up one too many times and then people are divorced, but it's not the toilet seat, you know? Well, that's an incredible, that's a really magical story. You'd be a great MDMA salesman, you know, just be the, you know, just (laughs) tell that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just give it five years and I'll totally rep you. We'll put together a really nice ad and just say just that, you know, anyways, that's, that's really awesome. I mean, so you're familiar with MDMA, Mm -hmm. you're familiar with psilocybin, magical Mm -hmm. mushrooms. Are there any other substances that you'd be interested in exploring or that you've explored? Because I think that was a really great PSA. Mm. And uh, I've never, you know, I've never had that type of experience because I'm not married. But I think that's an incredible type of thing to share with people because it could fix a marriage from the way you described it, potentially. And I think those are the type of tools that I think all of us here advocate for, at least the ability to do in a responsible manner with the right facilitation or no facilitation, as in your case. Yeah, I I was going to say is like I've back to the whole see for yourself thing is once I started to have the doors open for me a little bit, I started to look into more research and understanding and listening to podcasts and, you know, Tim Ferriss and Andrew Huberman and Fadiman and reading books. And I was just like, how how what's the right way to facilitate these things for others? What's the right way for me to do it? And and I don't know. There's not one right way is what I've discovered is like. I had um, the beginning actually part. I forgot. I left this part out. I was, I was in Oaxaca. I was sharing it with you, Jacob. And we were with um, a shaman there. And he was, we were doing a little, he's like, do you guys want to have um, medicine this week while you're here? And one thing that they talked about was how it's, we're not going to plan anything. We're not going to seek anything out. We're just going to let whatever occurs be the thing. So the only thing that we had planned was like a Temescal, a sweat lodge. And everything else was just like happened naturally. So this guy, all of a sudden, um, his name is Gavino. He shows up at the Airbnb we're staying at and he's telling us all about how cancer and the problems of the world are caused basically in our mind. And, and anyway, he shares all these lovely tidbits and, um, things and then share, asks us if we want to have medicine. And I was like, I was like, I hope we were having some this week. Cause I'm like in, I'm in. And so we had peyote and um, it was like super subtle and to the point where like the guys, it's so funny, we're sitting in a circle and it's like a small group, like 12 people. And like the guys are like, good medicina, 
like really into it. And I was just like, nothing is fucking happening. Like I'm expecting it. Like there's a tiger over there. Like that's what I was expecting to come out of the wall while I was having this experience. And I'm just like, what? I, am I missing something? And then they asked, they're like, Oh, Hey, do you like, do you want, do we want to have some more? And I was like, yes. And then we had some more and it still was the same. But what I experienced was I was quieter on the inside than I've ever been in my entire life. I was fully aware of just the group being able to just be there and not wonder what was happening, wonder if the medicine was working. I was like, oh, maybe something is happening actually. And so having that subtle experience, but it was, I mean, we were sitting in the circle for like four hours, five, it was felt like forever. Like, and it was late. We were all hungry because we had fasted that day. So when it comes to like the experience of ceremony, that was cool. And then we had this guy, one of the guys that was with us, he came up to Santa Barbara and led a ceremony with psilocybin with um, a group of people in my community in a similar environment, bigger group. And I was like, also cool to experience the indigenous tradition. And also what I, after I talked to other people and then experience, like again, experience for myself, I was just like, I wanted to like kind of close my eyes and like lay down and listen to music and move around a little bit. And I was like, I don't know that this is the way that I want to do this again. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, Greg Spivak and myself put on an event where we led people throughout the day through meditation and yoga and breath work and cold plunging, eating really good food, having great conversation. And then we took them to the beach we had him do some intention setting, some journaling. We asked specifically, like, what do you want to let go of and what do you want to bring in more of? And then we gave everybody the dosage of their choice. So it was anywhere between two and four grams. And then we just hung out there together. We took a little bit of medicine so that we were on the same vibe as everybody else. And but just like hung out and we hung out at the beach for several hours. Just some people were laughing more than they've laughed in their entire life in years and other people like kind of went away to like a little um, kind of corner by themselves where they just, you know, closed their eyes and enjoyed the experience and people put on headphones and we gave them all a playlist if they wanted to use our playlist. That was like a, you know, medicine kind of playlist. And it was one of the best days of my entire life, getting a chance to be a part of that and help people in that experience of really, truly just experiencing all these things on their own. Like it wasn't a lot of talking to anyone about this is how the breath work works. This is how your body works. This is how the nervous system works. It was a little bit, but mostly like we're going to take you through these experiences. And then a week afterwards, we all had a conversation about what they, you know, like, how's it been? What's the week been like? So a kind of integration in the sense that different than therapy, but it was what I realized was I was like, we need a community that's doing this. We can, we can facilitate something really powerful just by doing what the indigenous cultures did. They weren't going to therapy after doing ceremony. They were living with the people and talking about their experiences and doing life together. And so I feel like that's what Greg and I are trying to create. And this last week I taught, we taught a yoga and breath work on the wharf. And then a bunch of people that had come to that event came to the yoga on the wharf. And there was like 12 of us afterwards having pancakes, talking about our experience, not only just there, but like 
you know, them asking me like, Adrian, how did you get into this? Or, um, just, you know, talking about stuff and what, what do you, how do you see yourself or have you, have you used anything since? And, um, I just think that's was such a cool, safe environment that we created and held. And now all of a sudden this group of 16 people has people that they, can connect with and like on a deeper level about something because they signed up for kind of going a little deeper. So when it comes to like the other medicines, um, what do we cover? Peyote, um, psilocybin, MDMA. And I I had a little cannabis. It's like not my favorite, but I, um, the brand happy chance. It's a local company. Um, a woman named Catherine makes, um, they're like gummies, but they're more like, um, they're not sugary. So she's a trained chef. And so she made this, um, line of cannabis for like anxiety and her own, like handling anxiety. And, but she's like, I was noticing that everything on the, in the industry was like filled with sugar and corn syrup. So she made her own. That's kind of more like it tastes more like a Lara bar kind of texture, but I'll take like a, a quarter. What is it? 250 milligrams. Is it? No, no, that's a lot. It's the opposite. Hold on. Five, two and a half milligrams. Um, is those two and a half milligrams. And, um, I'm like, that's good. Like that is, it puts me on like a good vibe. Like I can handle a little bit more. If I go to teach a yoga class, I feel like I'm a little funnier and like, just like, I don't care as much. My guard's not up. My filter isn't as strong. And, um, I feel like that's when like you get like the real me and I get to be that for others. So yeah, that's all the things I've tried. Right. And so I, I think that's at least for me, one of the things I find most fascinating about the psychedelic space is kind of the vast cornucopia of different substances of different categories. So you've mentioned just for some people that maybe are here for the first time, you've mentioned tryptamines, right? Which are mushrooms. Phenethylamines is the category of mescaline or mescaline mm-hmm. and peyote. And I swear to God, you will see jaguars. If you eat about 500 milligrams, Okay, you will see jaguars. Um, well, it's good because I've been seeing lots of cats whenever in my... Yeah, you know, right, right. I close so, my eyes and put on the eye blinds. Something feline. Nevertheless, yeah. there's a bunch of different categories and they all can evoke different experiences. And I think each is a unique catalyst for different sort of conscious experiences and different ways in which we can perceive reality. So I think that's really awesome that you shared that. I do want to leave a little bit of time so people can pick your brain, but we do right. have the Change Your Lens series, which is really fun. Uh, hopefully we get like 15 or 50 or a hundred different people from all sorts of backgrounds, maybe even more people that have won Guinness awards. You're a first. So that's kind of cool. So first Guinness award winning, uh, change your lens series. Ready to go? Ready. Okay. What person was your greatest influence and why? The first one that comes to mind is Chrissy Wellington. She was an Ironman athlete. She was a a woman that kind of came on the scene when no one knew her. And she was just always smiling when she did Ironmans. Um, Michael Jordan, because my dad was, we always watched sports and I'm from Chicago. So, you know, the bulls winning the repeatedly, um, was a big thing and just, I don't know, his arms were just like so long and can jump so high. Yeah. That's what like sports wise, I would say that I always kind of like lean towards that. You're on a deserted Island. You can only, you're never leaving. It's not like cast away where they find you. You're there forever. Okay. Uh, one book, the alchemist. 
Okay, by Paulo uh, Coelho. Coelho. Mm -hmm. Interesting story about Paulo, by the way. No one would publish his book. He went to like 150 publishers. And That's always all, the case. That like happened with the Harry Potter series. Yeah, they said it was trash. Anyways, so believe in your dreams and never yeah. give up. Uh, next question. Are we in a simulation? Oh. I don't think so. Why? Mm, simulation. I feel like in a simulation where like there's like I feel like there were puppets on a string in a way, but I don't feel I feel like we are just doing life and kind of see what happens. So is there a undercurrent of free will in what you said? Oh yeah. Okay, that's great. Next question: Do you believe in? Do you an want there to be free will? I feel like maybe you won't, because you said that's great. Well, I mean, these are your questions. These great. aren't mine. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you do want my opinion, then we're going to have to edit this okay, out. Okay, great. Because this is just you. Just me. Uh, I mean, look. There's definitely free will. I'm a full fan of that. I think it goes both ways. I think there's mm -hmm. some really interesting people that have lived in caves forever, and they're like, no free will. The guy that's lived in darkness for 30 years, alone and silent, probably has a good insight on like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, inevitably, I don't really care. I mean, free will sounds nice, but then yeah. when I do something I don't like, I'm like, oh, it was fate. Yeah. You know? So I guess I fluctuate according to my behavior. Um, <laughs> if you could take psychedelics with anyone, who would it be? What would you do? And what drug would it be? And you can take a bunch. Oh, okay. Oh, you can make cool gosh. combinations. Wait, or, repeat it one more time. You could even dose the person. Who? You know what I mean? Okay. You could dose Mohammed and that could be your answer. Okay. So who, with who and what? Anybody from history. Okay. And they can be fake too. You know what I mean? They don't have to be like, it could be Zeus. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of a BS answer, but it could be Zeus. You can dose them. You can do whatever drugs you want. And then you can choose a magically, like you can go to Disneyland with Christ or, or Jerry Falwell for that matter. I would pick. I don't just you said Jerry. It made me think of Jerry Seinfeld. I think that would be really interesting. And the joke is you didn't say Jerry Garcia. You oh, said Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld. I want to take yeah. I want to take acid with Larry David. No, anyways, yeah. go ahead. Um, I just think the conversations it would be a lot of laughter. Um, I guess. And then you asked what what uh, what what substance and what, what do you substance? want to go do. I wouldn't want to drive with him like in his cars with coffee thing. That was like my first thought. I think an amusement park would be pretty rad, but I don't also feel like they're, I'm thinking about this too much. Like I, I'm thinking that if I took too much, the caution in me would be like, I'd be throwing up on the roller coasters mm. with too much psychedelic input. Um, I'm thinking I'll, I'll like some sort that. of water sport. You want to um, play water polo with them, or do you want no, to go like to I'm Magic Mountain? No, like I'm thinking like water paddle boarding. Some way you can get in the water, but okay. not with Jerry Seinfeld anymore, if that's the case. You want to go to a mind comp reading with Kramer? I'm no. kidding. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I would do that on acid. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need to experience more of what, um, like in a full-blown trip to decide that. I think I'd be a come back in a year. I'll give you a better answer. Is there a substance you're fascinated with and you haven't done that you want to try or oh. one that you, and then there's a second. Okay. A well, I would want to do MDMA and dance a lot because I haven't done that yet. And I feel like I would really, I want to like free myself up and get wiggly. What medicine are you most interested in and why? So there's like, you know, 200 compounds. So let's just forget about MDMA and the ones you've done. Which ones yeah. would you want to do that you haven't done? Um, 
You know how, you know, in the movie or the documentary with Michael Pollan where he like smokes something and then he just like, and then he just like blows his mind for that one. Anywhere in the world, three months, a hundred grand a month. Where would you live? If it was a place that I've been before, I would pick Costa Rica. Nosara, Costa Rica is pretty awesome. But if it was somewhere I hadn't been before, I'd go somewhere like Patagonia, mountainy. You could like own Patagonia and a hundred grand a month. Yeah. Anyways, last question. Okay. And then we're going to break into discussion. Uh, 60 seconds and we will time it. What is the nature of consciousness? What is the nature? What is the nature of, I can spell it and give you the derivation. Yeah, I'm just like, what is the nature of consciousness? The short answer is just to feel your life. Very well. Okay, can we get a round of applause for Adrian Smith? <laughs> and now I'm going to go wander the audience and Great. hand the mic to them. That okay. was incredible. Thank you Yay, so much. You're welcome. Any questions from the audience? So you had touched on it a little bit about uh, you know lack of sleep, hallucinating. Did you experience any of that in the 34 days you were in the ocean? I didn't experience any hallucinating, no. Any like change other than I? I think you guys did a pretty good job of keeping the spirits up. But. Yeah, my teammates did a little bit. So one of the cabins there was the auto, um, the auto tiller. Mm-hmm. So it keeps the boat handles, makes the rudder always move. So we're going the direction that we want to go. So what you do is you set the heading of the boat to like two hundred and thirty degrees, mm-hmm. and no matter what the conditions are, the boat will head two hundred and thirty degrees. For the most part. So there's this thing that's in the boat and it's, since it's a small boat, you hear a lot of loud noises and you just, they could hear it knocking in the first like week they would come out of their cabin after like somewhat sleeping. And there's just like, they would just start talking nonsense about, they're like, Jonathan, stop moving the auto tiller. And they would, but like, they also knew they were conscious about it. They, it was just became this like silly thing where we gave the auto tiller a name. Because it was just like a way to make light of something that was super annoying and loud. Just kind of like emergency, if there was an emergency. Was there, I mean, was there somebody kind of trailing along filming you guys? I guess you guys were out there by yourselves. And then how did you be able to like store everything that you needed for that amount of time? Yeah, that's great. So I'll start with the storage part. So everything, the way that this works is it's completely unsupported. So everything that you needed to take, you had to bring with you. And if you didn't bring it, then you had to learn to live without it. Um, I dreamt for the first week about receiving deliveries in the middle of the ocean and dreamed of like walking on a dock and like going to a store like over and over and over again um, because we're able to do that so easily here. And no, there was no one trailing us. So One of the things that I learned um, right before we left was that there was an emergency boat that was essentially being reserved in the event that someone needed to come out and rescue us. So the Coast Guard is only able to operate about 250 to 350 miles off of any shore because that's as far as a helicopter can go. And um, once you get past that, then it can be days before anyone can get to you. Now, that being said, one of the rules of the ocean is that in the event that someone's in distress, 
and we had a system that you can alert other boats and we had satellite and radio. So we could radio another boat. And if we were in major trouble, then you are supposed to help. Um, but what's so funny is like our boat, one of the things we did sea survival course that we took was our, our boat that we were on was smaller than a lot of the lifeboats that other people were going on. Like if you took a cruise ship, like our boat was still smaller than their life rafts. Fortunately, we never had to worry about that. But um, if you watch the movie Chasing, the documentary, you'll see what happens in the event that someone needs to get rescued. Um, a guy essentially starts getting dehydrated and what it was, was would have gone into kidney failure had someone not come out because he was so seasick that he couldn't keep anything down. So the goal of our journey when we first started, even though training was very important, was if you could figure out how not to be seasick and not suffer that terribly. Obviously, it's, you know, sucks to like have to row and like sit on these seats and all that stuff. But because we were able to not be seasick, because we had two days of training where all of us were just like the, it was the worst days of our lives seasick. Um, we were like, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing ever if we have to deal with this like for repeated days. And we didn't have that issue. So it was a total win in comparison. Um, I'm just curious, what kind of bond did you have with your teammates before going and then post uh, going? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know any of them prior to meeting them. And then before we left, it was one of the girls moved in with me. She was training for um, the essentially going towards the Olympics and working. She was training in Oklahoma. And so there's no reason for her to stay there anymore when she was working on this um, project. So she moved in with us in Santa Barbara with my husband and my daughter and I, and we got pretty close. And then um, just recently we celebrated our one year back to land and the, the four of us went out to the Channel Islands and hiked for the day and reminisced and talked and um, we, I did a little bit and they did not. Yeah. But they're one of one of the girls is interested. She's like, if I want to take some, would you like go with me? And I was like, yes. So did you or any of your teammates just freak out out there at any time? Just kind of lose it? Um, kind of depends on like, every, I think everyone's version of losing it is different. Um, one of the early days at, out there, it wasn't the being out at sea that caused anyone to lose it. But one of the girls, um, her, her grandma passed away while we were out at sea and through the way that we communicated it, like it was this kind of uh, communication error that we learned early. Like I'll say her mom told one of the girls on the team that it happened. And then she was waiting for the right time to tell her. And then she told her and she's like, why didn't you tell me before? Why did you like keep this from me? Why were you like protecting me? And so like freaking out in a different way. Um, but then she also, that was like combined with getting her period. So like hormones were also in the play. Um, I, it was like a weekend or so. And everyone kept talking about how the night shifts were really hard because we're supposed to be sleeping when it's dark out is like the bottom line. So, I mean, I would be rowing and I could see my teammates rowing in front of me and like rowing and then not really rowing anymore. And then just like kind of stopping, <laughs> like they were just fall asleep sitting. And it was, it was funny, but also, you know, like get your shit together. Like we, we all have to pull our weight here. And so we, we had team meetings every day. And the next day after I had enough of that, I was like, look, 
I was like, I don't know what you guys got to do, but you got to figure out another way to tackle the night shift because I'm sitting here witnessing you all fall asleep or all of you, like the two of you that I, uh, that I can see falling asleep every night while you're rowing. And I'm sitting there like listening to music as loud as possible, just like singing my heart out and just like trying to stay awake. And so the next night, one of the girls, and there was a, a video of that up, but she's like, Adrian, she's like, I have a technique. I'm going to get through the night shifts. So that night she gets, she gets out of her cabin, she puts her clothes on and she stands up and she just starts screaming. She's just like, I am not tired. I am awake, more awake than I've ever been in my entire life. And that was a turning point because I spoke up and said something. She changed how she was and it wasn't, we were still all tired, but it just became a thing that what went from being a problem to finding a solution to then finding humor about it and then being able to then like kind of like kick each other if you were falling asleep. And so the freaking out is like it happened in ways like that where you're like, you guys, you, we all have to be, have our, be on as much of our A game as we possibly can be for being this tired and fatigued and um, not in normal circumstances. And so being able to communicate and having the courage to communicate with, with each other instead of like holding it in, I think that's when like freak outs would happen even more. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. Um, we also couldn't find one jar of Nutella for a period of time. <laughs> that was like a big deal. And then I found it and it was like, I felt like it was like my hero moment at sea. How about, how did you cope and how did you deal with when you, you felt like quitting or when you got tired and when your hand, your hand hurt and your, your wrist swelled? You know, we, we gave ourselves a lot of compassion with time of like to stretch and like, um, and we would just tell each other like, Hey, I'm taking a break. I'm stretching. Or I'm like, you know, I would lean back and like press my hands up against like the kind of what seemed like the wall behind me or um, when I would get in my cabin, one of my girlfriends had had a bunch of people write letters to me and I would open them up and read them and I'd read them out loud. And at this point we were filming um, in like GoPros. And so do like video blogs kind of thing of like talking to the camera and just like kind of getting something out so that it didn't stay in because people asked if we journaled but journaling was hard because the boat was moving so much and it took if it took time to write you weren't whatever you were doing when you were on your rest shift if you weren't sleeping you were taking away from your sleep time so it was just like taking the best care of our off time so that you know just like in in any any day and age like any day any given day on a regular day when you know you have like a project that you're about to do, it's like you got to make sure to prepare. And if you don't do this, I suggest that you do. But it's like taking time away from everybody else, like to focus on the things that you need to take care of most so that you can show up best. And so everybody was very good with each other about that. Like someone else, like I was requesting, you know, at one point I was like, I just wish I packed more crunchy snacks. And then they're like, then my teammates made a crunchy snack pile that they shared with me. And, um, and so it was things like that, that we would do for each other. But big thing was, is communicating that like I, you know, everyone else is eating like Cheerios and plantain chips and I didn't pack enough and I'm feeling sad, <laughs> you know, like just like little things like that could like ruin your day. How about mentally? Uh, did you have like, um, I mean, you just have drive or do you, do you think of, is there something that gets you to push? Um, I don't, I think it's kind of a choice. It's like, I can either choose to complain, which, you know, I do that too, but then it's, 
is that how I want to keep like exerting energy? You know, like even I, I do an exercise most days where I, I get up in the morning, I make a coffee and then I, I just write like stream of consciousness. And I was noticing recently that a lot of my writing was complaints. And I was like, I'm starting my day this way. And I'm just like, I'm, it's like airing of grievances. Like I'm just getting it out. So at least it's not living inside of me and I'm not talking about it with another person. But I was like, is this how I want to spend my time? Like, sure. Yeah. That's like this one thing isn't happening how I want it to. But instead of that, what could I write down? That's going to be what I want to be happening. And so I don't think it's like drive or motivation. It's just like in a moment, like realizing this isn't how I want to be. And I'm not definitely like, I'm not Gandhi or being able to like, just sit and just like not have things affect me. But I, um, I feel like what I was just alluding to before is watching when I'm in states where I'm over, like repeatedly agitated. I'm like, I need to change something. Like I can't, I'm going to have to cancel meetings for the next day. Truthfully, like, cause I need to take care of myself and like, especially having a small child is I was sharing with Cole before this that like, she didn't want to go to ice skating camp yesterday. Like talk about like white privilege. She didn't want to go to ice skating camp and she's holding her, her bed so tight that I had to, I said to her, I was like, Reese, I'm going to take a deep breath and then I'm going to rip your hands off of the bed. And she's just like kicking me. And I was like, it takes a lot of inner, like, I don't want to say it's like awareness to not have what's going on internally show up outside. But after that, after getting through it and dropping her off, like I went for a walk for 90 minutes and I was outside and I wasn't talking on the phone. I was just being nature. And I was like, and I felt like a completely different person after that. And my old way would be just to like, kind of shake it off real quick and just dive right into work almost like an avoidance. And I think if we watch animals, we're one of the only mammals that don't shake after we have like an experience that we don't like. So if dogs encounter another dog on the street and they get their hackles all up, if you pay attention, like they usually shake out right afterwards. And now they don't have like the same long-term memory that we do, I don't think in that way, but it's like something to learn in that kind of self-care Hi, I'm super impressed with your ability to live on and off sleep in periods of two hours for over 30 days. Human beings are not made for that kind of sleeplessness or sleeping in small little installments like that. I was wondering if any time during that period you end up getting used to it and it became a little more comfortable for you. And after that period, after those 34 days, did you go back to your normal sleeping routine right away or did it take a little while to get used to it again? Yeah, we, it took, so for the first couple days on the boat, we knew that we were, we needed to prioritize our downtime to sleep as much as possible. So we normally, once we got, I would say like five days in, we started to have like chores. So everyone was responsible for cooking one meal a day for each other. So Libby cooked breakfast. I cooked lunch. Brooke cooked dinner and DJ cooked second dinner. And so you would just make a bunch of food for each other and then it would be ready. And then, um, but prior to that, we knew that adapting to this 
complete change from like getting, you know, seven hours of sleep the night before we left to then shifting into this pattern was any time that we were not on the, on, we say like anytime we weren't on the oars, we were sleeping. And so to do that, we, we needed to bring water with us on, on board that was already prepared instead of having to spend an hour having the water maker make water. So there was no chores for the first couple of days. We had peanut butter sandwiches, bagels, and pizza because that stuff could last for a couple of days without having to, you know, it wouldn't go bad. And so we did that. So it was like, get as much sleep as possible those first few days. And then it was kind of cool. There was like a moment where all of a sudden I remember kind of coming out of my cabin and being like, I can like sit on deck and hang out. And I don't feel terrible and I'm not going to vomit. And like, kind of like, a, I, I feel like it was four or five days in being like, we're going to do this. And then, yeah, it was hard, but you just, it was just this, you got used to it. And I will say when I was talking about the sleep part, um, or not the sleep, but the jaw pain, I was at a friend's house um, shortly after I returned and she had an alarm set on her phone. And it was the same alarm that I had as my boat alarm, which is not my alarm now. And I immediately started sweating when I was at her house. Like my within with it didn't even take a second. My palms were sweating. And I was like, oh, my God. Like and so when I worked with the therapist with the EMDR, she had me go. She's like, what is it that you hated or that you didn't like? I don't know what her exact words were, but I was like, I hated getting out of bed when my alarm went off. And having to put clothes on. And she's like, okay, go there. I want you to go to that experience so that you can reprogram it in your brain so that if an alarm like that goes off, you don't have that response again. And I'm amazed how that technique works, but it did. And so I was at the same friend's house just on Tuesday and that alarm went off. And I was like, the alarm's going off. I'm okay. But it's still like it's still there's a memory associated with it. It's just stored differently, similar to, you know, how we reprogram ourselves with. um, Yeah. And psychedelics, too, is when and then when we to answer the second part is when we got back, like, yeah, no problem sleeping, just like laying in a hotel bed and um, air conditioning (laughs) clean. I I mean, I think I, I slept just sort of like not great just because I think the exhaustion and the adrenaline, like all that stuff mixed together. Just, I wasn't, I wasn't in like a restful place just yet. Awesome. Are there any more questions or any less? Oh yeah. Lots. Yeah. So much. And I thought one of the questions you were going to ask me is like, I'm on a deserted Island. What do you bring? Chapstick for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but we were, we wore, all of us did really great. We wore long sleeves, um, pants, sun shirts, hats. Um, I sunscreened my hands because your hands were exposed a lot with the sun. And um, one of my teammates, DJ, uh, I have a podcast and she's the first, it, it goes out every Thursday. And so there's an interview with her. It's not an interview, it's a conversation with her. And she tells a funny story about how she's like, we're at sea for 35 days and I don't get sunburned. And she's like, the day we get back, we're cleaning the boat and I get sunburn the day that we're on land. It's just funny because she's just like, oh, we're not going to be out here for very long. It doesn't put on sunscreen or like protects her skin. So crazy.
Thank you for listening. If what you heard today lit you up in any way, please take the time to subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends. It'll help us reach more people in courageously and confidently rocking life. Make sure you follow me on Instagram to see the messy fun I'm up to at the Adrian Smith and check out my current wellness events and coaching programs on my website, alignedlivingnow.com. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, get messy.